You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I wasn't sure how I wanted to spend the first moments of the new year. I am, as you may be unsurprised to learn, not a go-out-to-the-clubs-on-New-Year's-Eve kind of guy. So I wound up staying home. Had some people over, had a mellow one, hope you had a good one, whatever a good New Year's Eve looks like for you. Mine started in bed at midnight. Yes, on my Helix mattress, staring at the ceiling, listening to the fireworks. I also wasn't sure how I wanted to start this, the first love cast of the new year. I thought about doing a call to arms. It is an election year now. Officially, it is 2024, people. And it's looking like we're going to have a rematch. It's going to be the Dem who stammers a bit versus the Republican who reeks of shit and makeup and ketchup and ass and pits, as it turns out. All right, I'm going to digress here for a bit, and this is not how I wanted to start the first show of 2024, but I kind of think this is actually important and could help keep Donald Trump from returning to power. All right, backing way the hell up for years, Donald Trump has insulted his opponents. Little Marco, Lying Ted, Sleepy Joe, Megan Kelly, bleeding from her wherever, calling Rosie O'Donnell a dog, Representative Maxine Waters a lowlife. When Trump hurls an insult, it lands. And his stupid nicknames are stupid. They're so stupid, but they're sticky. Trump, the insult comic, is such a huge part of his persona and his appeal to the whole cruelty is the point crowd, the deplorables, the one time Hillary Clinton used an insult that stuck. The New York Times actually ran a piece about Trump headlined the complete list of Trump's Twitter insults 2015 to 2021. That piece now needs updating. Ron DeSanctimonious, Christy the Fat Pig, Bird Brain Nikki Haley. And all this time, nearly a decade since that escalator ride down to the depths of Trump Tower, no one has hurled an insult or a nickname at Trump that really stuck. Twitler, Twitter and Hitler kind of stuck. Hair Fuhrer, like Hair Fuhrer. Hitler insults don't bother Trump. Why would being compared to a bloodthirsty dictator bother the guy who openly admires bloodthirsty dictators like Putin and Xi and aspires to be one himself? But former GOP representative Adam Kingsinger, he came up with an insult that stung. He managed to do it. The former GOP House rep who lost his seat after becoming one of the two Republicans who served on the House January 6th committee He's a veteran, a conservative Christian. He managed to do what all the late night hosts combined couldn't quite manage to do. Land a blow, a palpable hit, an insult that stuck and stung as sticky as it is disgusting. Kinzinger, who was first elected in 2010, tried to make peace with Trump and Trumpism, voted with Trump before realizing that he couldn't do it. And one of the things that seemed to help Kinzinger realize that he couldn't play along with Trump was being in the same room with Trump, standing next to Trump on many occasions when they were working together. And Kinzinger noticed something that everyone else has to have noticed. Trump stinks. He smells bad. He has terrible body odor. And what does Trump smell like? Here's Kinzinger describing it to podcast host Bill Madden. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not good. I mean, think about uh, the best way to describe it. I, I've tried to like, so take like armpits, ketchup, like a butt and kind of put it in a blender and makeup and put that all in a blender. And that's, and, and you bottle that as a cologne. That's kind of that. But it's amazing. Like I've been amazed that, you know, everybody's just kind of like learning about this now. It's a visceral description to be certain. Amanda Marcotte writes in Salon, but also beautiful because everyone immediately knows it must be true. Why is it true? Because Trump doesn't give a shit about other people. Practicing good personal hygiene is something we do out of consideration for others. And he has no consideration for others. He also lives to dominate every room he's in. And stinking up a room is one way to do that. And Trump only cares about TV. And as Marcotte goes on, Trump knows you can't smell him through the camera. Only see his glowering orange visage. Marcotte also points out that every time Trump gets into the shower, Trump has to look at his naked ass body and admit at least to himself that he is not 220 pounds and he's going to get his hair wet. How long does it take to repair that hair? Better to skip the showers than to risk seeing himself in the mirror or mussing up his perfect hair. How can you tell that this one really stung? Because the Trump camp came out guns blazing. They fear voters thinking Trump smells bad, knowing he smells bad. They've been all over this. They're out there denying it. They're attacking Kinzinger. A Trump spokesperson accused Kinzinger of farting on live TV, which caused reporters to try to chase that down. And there is no evidence that Kinzinger has ever farted on live TV. Those Trump spokespersons must have been confusing Kinzinger with Giuliani, who did fart on live TV during a press conference. Anyway, they're hitting back hard because they know we recoil instinctively from people who smell terrible. And once that stink is on you, not just an olfactory issue. For someone like Trump, for someone in Trump's position, for someone who wants what Trump wants, your vote, it's a political issue. It's a short hop from getting someone to realize this guy smells like ass and ketchup and pits to recognizing that this guy stinks of desperation and failure and menace too. There is this thing that we sometimes talk about, the who would you want to have beer with primary. In 2000, George W. Bush was the guy most people said they'd rather have a beer with. In 2008, it was Obama. They went on to win their elections because people kind of liked them. And it comes down to that, ridiculously enough. Who's more relatable? Who could you see yourself wanting to hang out with for an hour or two and have a beer with? Who would you rather have a beer with? The guy who sounds old, Joe Biden, or the guy who smells terrible, Donald Trump? That's why the Trump camp is freaking out about this. Wannabe dictators don't like being laughed at. So this has a kind of power, a kind of power it shouldn't have, but it does. This is our politics now. The stench issue, the stink, the stank has the power to cost Trump enough votes in key states to keep his stinky, stanky, pity, ketchupy, assy ass out of the White House. We live in desperately juvenile times and desperately juvenile times call for desperately juvenile measures. We're going to be talking about Trump a lot over the next 11 months. And every time you do, don't just raise a stink about Trump. Raise the stink about Trump. 
All right, coming up on today's show on the micro, tons of your Q, lots of my A, and joining me on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, Mackenzie Goodwin and Rachel Scanlon from the Two Dykes and a Mike podcast. We talk about some queer stuff. We take a few questions together. It's a really good time. It is on the Magnum, which you can listen to if you become a Magnum subscriber now at savage.love. All right, let's get to the show. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, Dan. I am calling you about a situation that just happened this evening. I am a 31-year-old lesbian living in a pretty progressive city in Germany. Right now, I'm writing my thesis for my degree at a research facility and this evening, when I was left alone in the in the office, a colleague of mine came back just after leaving, and she sat down in front of me and told me that she had a crush on me. I was really surprised by this. We have known each other for a few months now, and I really like her. We spend a lot of time texting, and we yeah do some stuff in, together in the group, like in our free time. Until now, I thought that our connection was just platonic, but I do admit that we really have a connection. I really, really like her. And I was kind of happy about her telling me about it because it was also super flattering. But one of the problems is that I will only be in this area for another month, more or less, part of which she will be on vacation. And she's quite a lot younger than me. Seven years is not like super much, but she's 24. I'm 31. It feels like a lot. She also grew up in a very conservative Christian Orthodox country in Eastern Europe. She's pretty shy and introverted. She told me that I was the, the the first woman or the first person in her life she ever told about uh, any kind of homosexual or queer feelings. She never had any relationship or experience with a with a woman, and I I kind of worry that if I let this grow any more emotionally deep we I might end up hurting her and I really do not want to do that we talked about like the limited time we have left together I told her that she could talk to me about anything she wanted she could ask me anything that but that maybe that it would be better if we just stayed friends and if yeah she could lean on me and I could support her. her. Her telling me really meant a lot to me. I know how it feels like to be young and come out for the first time. We ended up hugging and then she left. Then do you think my reaction was okay? How do you think we should proceed for the last few weeks that I live here? Yeah, how can I follow, how can I best follow the campsite rule in this situation? Do you want to fuck this girl? Obviously she's attracted to you. She came to you and said that she was attracted to you and had a crush on you, so it has been established. It is a fact and evidence that she would like to fuck you, but you never once mentioned whether you want to fuck her, care about her, 
You want to do the right thing by her. Is she hot? Do you want to eat her pussy? Do you want to get with her? Seven-year age gap, 24, 31. Not a problem. I have a seven-year age gap with my husband. He was 23, I was 30 when we met. You, however, in this position, the unique position of being the first person that she's ever told about her being a lesbian or her same-sex desires or homosexuality, and odds are really high in a circumstance like that when somebody who isn't out yet comes out to their first same-sex crush, odds are really high that if you do fuck her, she's going to imprint on you like a duckling. She's going to fall and fall hard. And you have to know that going in. So what does that mean? Does that mean you don't fuck her because you might leave in a month and break her heart? There are, of course, people who would argue that that means don't fuck her because her heart is going to get broken. And then there are people like me who would argue that her heart's going to get broken anyway. Got to have her first sexual experience with someone sometime. And you, being as thoughtful and caring and kind a person as you seem to be, might be the ideal candidate to be her first sexual partner. Even at the risk of her imprinting on you like a duckling, falling for you and falling hard when circumstances may not allow for you two to be together? Or is there a path forward that you could imagine? Are there a set of circumstances if they were to unfold over the next month or year or two that you could see yourself wanting to be with this person romantically? If so, then you can fuck her with a clear conscience. But even if not, you can go to her. She's an adult. She's a 24-year-old adult. Of course, when you first come out, I think you revert emotionally, psychologically to about 13 years old. You can go to her and say, I'm here for a month. I don't think there's a circumstance under which we could be together romantically over the long term. But if you're interested in having a wonderful short-term relationship, I might be down but it would be short term. It would be a month. I would be your lesbo training wheels. And then I would be your friend forever. That's really common in gay and lesbian land for someone to remain friends with an ex, for someone to have a brief affair with someone that they can't be with because circumstance doesn't allow for them to be together, but for them to, particularly in this age of social media, stay connected you could do that, but I'm just going to circle all the way back to my first question. Do you want to fuck this girl? You never say. Is she hot? You never say. And if you do want to fuck her, you honor the campsite rule just by being very explicit about what is and is not possible. And if it's not possible for you to be her girlfriend, if it's not possible for you two to be together romantically over the long term, emphasize that. And then if she gets hurt, who amongst us is spared hurt in our romantic lives? And at some point, she's going to have to get that first same-sex relationship behind her, under her belt, that first heartache, heartbreak. And since you may, by rejecting her without fucking her, break her heart, why not let her have the fuck and then break her heart? Hey, Dan. I'm a middle-aged gay guy and going through the very middle-aged time of doing a lot of reflection on life and whatnot. And 
what's come up recently as I've actually applied for a new leadership position in the volunteer organization that I'm a part of is they're asking like, gee, a few years back, you seem to kind of give it all up and walk away. You know, what's wrong? Why do you want to come back now? And the situation that happened was I had been mentored and kind of taken under the, under the wing of an older gay guy, like my parents' age older gay guy, who was nice and, you know, really grooming me for leadership and just telling me I was all these great, wonderful things. And I remember one night I went over to his house just to kind of go over some paperwork with him about the job. And his husband was literally dying upstairs of cancer. And he had a probably way too many drinks and ended up sticking his tongue down my throat and groping me and just trying to take some liberties. I pushed him away physically and emotionally. And what ended up as a result of that was I pushed him away and then he pushed me away. I was pushed out of all my volunteer jobs and told, wow, you remember all those nice things I said about you? No, you're actually horrible. You're you're doing a horrible job and we can't stand having you here. And so I, I kind of left with my tail between my legs feeling like, okay, this sucks. What makes it worse is he's clergy. This is a church organization. I'm a church gay, yay. And I feel kind of funny about it, you know, applying for now a leadership position within a church. They're asking, like, hey, why'd you leave all those years ago? Well, it's because this clergy person tried to take liberties with me. I guess my question for you is, how fucked up was this? Is it just like, oh, this was stupid, he was drunk, forgive it, move on, which is kind of what I told myself? Or as I told it to one of the leaders at church, he just said, no, that was a sexual assault and you need to feel really bad about it. I don't know how I feel about it. And I guess I, you know, I'm not a twink anymore, but when I was, I got used to older gay guys taking liberties. Is this just like a brush it off, move, move on with my life? Or is this as bad as people are trying to make it sound? Someone whose husband is upstairs dying of cancer may not be in their right mind. Someone who's under that kind of stress and pressure who then also gets drunk may do something in the moment that they regret and that they should not have done. If someone isn't an asshole and someone has made that kind of mistake under that kind of pressure and shoved their tongue into the mouth of some twink who was in their house for reasons that didn't include making themselves sexually available to him and they don't spend the next, I don't know, year apologizing for what they've done. If they aren't mortified by their own actions, once they're sobered the fuck up and they don't make a good faith effort to make it up to the person that they indeed sexually assaulted and make changes in their life that they might need to make so that they don't do that again to anyone else. Okay. Maybe that person can be forgiven. But if that person in the wake of their bad actions retaliates against their victim and shoves them out of the church that they were both involved in, well, that person's a terrible person. Humans are complicated and we can feel, I think, some sympathy or empathy for someone who's in that position while still holding them accountable for their bad actions and not seeing them as victims themselves or re-rationalizing their terrible actions, particularly the retaliation. That's what I stick on here, the, the retaliation. 
that he had poor impulse control at a moment when his husband was dying and he was drunk and you were hot and you were there and uh, not okay, not okay. And he owed you an apology that he retaliated against you and violated you. A spiritual violation was committed here. And you're worried now as you circle back to this church for some reason, I would have run from church never to return. I'm sure if you came back and they're like, hey, why'd you wander off all those years ago? And you looked at them and said, well, a member of the clergy of this particular church sexually assaulted me when I was a twink. No one's going to go, no way, that couldn't possibly, wait, what are you talking about? Everyone's going to go, oh yeah, yeah. We are familiar with that particular circumstance, with that dynamic. We read the newspapers. This is not going to come as a shock, I think, to the people running this church. And that you're not having this conversation with a lawyer present as you bring a lawsuit, they'll probably be grateful to you. As for how you're supposed to feel about this, you aren't obligated to be traumatized. Something happened to you and you were resilient enough that you took it in a kind of stride. And it wasn't just the moment of the shock of this priest shoving his tongue in your mouth and how awful that was in the moment, especially as he may have been playing on your sympathy for him also at that moment to get you into a vulnerable place and then take advantage of you in this shitty way. And some people who experience exactly what you experienced, particularly the being driven off afterwards, would be traumatized, would to this day have lingering, lasting impacts or effects from this insanely unpleasant violation. That you don't doesn't mean you're betraying other people who've had similar experiences, who still live with and struggle with the trauma of it. You're not letting down the side. You aren't obligated after having been victimized to limp along for the rest of your life to telegraph to other people the seriousness of the way in which that you were victimized. It can be serious and you can be over it and not have your life warped by ongoing trauma or drama or anything. And it sounds like you are over it. And you're not betraying the twink that you were in being over it as an adult, not feeling particularly harmed, not having any lingering damage. And you're not betraying today's twinks who may be victimized in a similar way by a similar asshole at a similar moment. Why are you going back to this church though? That I can't understand. That I don't get. Are there no other churches that you can work with? No other places that you can go? I, I don't know. Maybe it's part of your healing journey to return to this particular church. And maybe that's going to set something right for you. And if that's it, more power to you. I support this choice. But if that's not what's going on here, why not the God shop down the street? I know what your New Year's resolution is. It's to stop using Facebook as your homepage. Having your own website or blog takes your project to the next level and puts you in control of what you're cranking out. And Squarespace can make this easy as pie. If you're setting up a business or getting a creative or political project off the ground, you'll find an indispensable partner in Squarespace. They have everything you need. Domains, marketing tools, analytics, e-commerce. 
They have great search engine optimization tools. So every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help you to raise your site higher and search results. Would you know how to build that? Uh, no, you would not. Squarespace empowers millions of creative types and entrepreneurs by providing them with the tools they need to bring their smart ideas to life. You can put together video ads, launch online courses, put out a virtual tip jar. All the tools you need to monetize your website and reach your goals are there waiting for you. You'll create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logos so your messaging is consistent and effective. And what's more, everything you make with Squarespace translates perfectly to mobile. That's why my band uses it. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a tech savvy at rescue. I have a question about my separated spouse. So he and I have been separated for a little under a year. We have a three-year-old together. And I think we're at very different places in the separation. I think I am very much at peace with this decision, and I think it's the right choice for us going forward in all respects, both in happiness and also I think we will be better as co-parents than in the same household. And I understand that he's processing everything, um, and that totally makes sense to me. He's at a different place emotionally. But, you know, he keeps trying to have conversations with me about things that my understanding is he's trying to process, things in our relationship or things that he's not happy about how they've gone. I told him that as his co-parent, I'm more than happy to meet with a counselor or mediator, some sort of co-parent counselor to sort of talk through any of these issues if he feels that it would be helpful for him, if it's something he feels like he needs to process together. And he has said, like, oh, we can do that. But then he keeps trying to initiate these conversations. He doesn't do it in front of our kids. That's not the issue. But, for instance, he tried to initiate one of these conversations when we had all been having a family day, doing some family stuff around the holidays, and she was taking a nap, and I couldn't leave without her because she was coming back to my place. And, again, I tried to bring up, if you want to do this, let's find a counselor, etc. And so... I'm just not sure how to sort of prevent that without causing a big fight. And it feels like he's doing one of two things. Either I'm the bad guy because we'll get into a fight, or he goes me into having a conversation that I'm the bad guy in anyways because, you know, he's trying, I think, to make sense of stuff and blame me. And that's fine. If he wants to blame me, he can. Um, but so I'm just trying to figure out how to do this in a constructive way because he keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. You're very much at peace with this decision, I suspect, because it's a decision that you made. I am not making excuses for what your soon-to-be ex-husband is doing here. What he's doing is really kind of manipulative, consciously or subconsciously. He knows that you're stuck with him, and he's stuck with you, but you're stuck with him. And because you have a co-parenting relationship. And so by continuing to bring up the things that he wants to talk about in this aggressive, aggressive or passive aggressive way, violating a boundary that he knows that you've tried to establish, he's relying on your 
desire to keep the peace in your co-parenting relationship, to de-escalate these situations and manipulating you into giving him what he wants to endlessly process the decision you made to exit this relationship, to end the marriage or have a big fight. You know, just identifying what he's doing is manipulative to his face is not going to make him necessarily stop. And so your options here are to have conversations with him that you don't want to have or have a big fight with him about the conversations that you will have with him and under what circumstances you will have those conversations. You have said to him, look, if you want to process the end of this relationship any further, we need to do that with a counselor. Let's find, make an appointment for a counselor. Since these are conversations he wants to have, the onus really should be on him to go find that couple's counselor and schedule that appointment. Knowing what we know about men, straight men, gay men, it probably is going to fall to you to find that counselor that he should, by all rights, have to identify and find because these are conversations that he wants to have. But seems to me that that's something that you might want to consider doing yourself so that when he says, I want to talk about, I want to have this processy conversation, I'm going to seize this opportunity where our child is sleeping in the other room to force the issue to force you to have this conversation with me. If you can pivot and say, I found this counselor, here's their number. I made an appointment for, let's say a month out. How often does he try to initiate these conversations? Do it at some point, make that first appointment for a time when you're pretty sure he's going to try this again before. And then just say, we have an appointment. Let's go. Again, you shouldn't have to do that work. You might want to do that work to avoid the fight. You also don't want to have with your soon to be ex-husband about these conversations that he continues to want to have, you know, being left, being divorced is hard. We know nothing else about your husband or the kind of man he is. He may really be struggling. And what we know about the data and the research into where a lot of straight men are at right now, they don't have a lot of social support networks. They don't have a lot of friendship networks. A lot of straight guys are really isolated. You may be the only person that he feels that he can talk to about this because you're the only person in his life that for however long you've been together, he's been talking to about anything. This is not fair to you. It shouldn't fall to you. But one of the things we do when we leave somebody is attempt to leave them in better shape than we found them. And sometimes when you want out of a relationship, you end up doing a little bit more emotional labor, paradoxically, ironically, sometimes we end a relationship because we're, we feel that we've had to do too much emotional labor in that relationship. But on the way out, sometimes it not only eases the way out for us, but ups the chances of leaving that person in better shape than we found them if we go that extra mile and do a little bit more emotional labor on the way out than we should have to do or that that person really has any right to expect that we might do. And I would classify or categorize you making the appointment, you finding the counselor as that kind of above and beyond emotional labor for him on the way out that you shouldn't have to do, but you might want to do not just to benefit him, but to benefit yourself because you do want to have something that you can 
throw out on the table when he is attempting to initiate one of these conversations and you want to shut it down and throwing out the counselor, having found the counselor, having made the appointment may be your best option. New year, new mattress. You deserve it. You need a better mattress. And when you're ready to get one, follow my advice and get yourself a Helix mattress just like we did. We actually got a couple. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection. Those are our mattresses. The newly released Helix Elite Collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. To figure out which mattress is right for you, take the Helix Sleep Quiz to find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and then your personalized mattress will be shipped straight to your door free of charge. And with their 100-night sleep trial, you can try out your new mattress, see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit, you are welcome to return it for a full refund. Helix offers models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side, or models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Helix mattresses also include enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night, and if your spine needs a little extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design, which combines individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. And again, Helix offers a 100-night trial to try out your new Helix mattress and a 10- to 15-year warranty. And right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hi, Dan. I am a 49-year-old heteroflexible female um, and a longtime Magnum subscriber. And I have a question about anal that I can't seem to find an answer to online, and I'm hoping you can help. So my last boyfriend and I, um, it was the first time I had anal, and I loved it. It was great. And he had more of a longer, thinner penis. And so it worked really well. And all was good. Relationship ended. I've been in a new relationship now with my current fiance about seven years. And his penis is more like a beer can. It's uh, it's pretty thick. And we have not been able to successfully have anal intercourse. It just hurts and I tap out too fast. <laughs> and I miss it. I liked being able to have anal and I've looked all online on, you know, all the ways to kind of work up to a bigger dick, right? Like, Lots of lube, lots of foreplay, take your time, work your way up from something small to large. That all makes sense. However, my issue is, is I find any kind of play back there to be so incredibly intense and so like overwhelming in the sensations that I tap out really quickly. Even when I was having anal sex, it would really only be for a couple of minutes at a time and then... That was all I could take. And I was good. I was good. Um, And that was fine for me. But now I can't seem to be able to work up to my current fiance's thick dick to be able to take it. And we really would like to be able to do this. And is there something to make it the sensation not as great? Are there other workarounds to work with the fact that I just, I can't, I can't play for very long back there. It might help if less of your play was focused on penetration 
If you could explore anal pleasure with your fiance without it being so goal-oriented, mission-critical, get that beer can dick in your butt. If you got some toys, including a strap-on, that's roughly the same size and shape of your previous partner's penis that you know worked for your ass so that with your current fiance, you can explore some anal penetration that is pleasurable, that isn't inducing a kind of fear and tension and anticipation in you and dread that makes you less capable, less receptive to anal intercourse. Fear is anal intercourse's kryptonite. And so, what I would tell you to do is take penetration, unless you go get that strap on that's the same size and shape of your ex-boyfriend's penis, take penetration off the menu, get some vibrators, get some toys that you can lay across your asshole and perineum that vibrate, that create anal pleasure stimulation without penetration being the goal, without penetration even being on the menu for weeks or months. You know, one of the mistakes that people make kind of category error that people make when they talk about working their way up by getting toys, using lots of lubes, is they think they're going to work their way up in an hour, in an afternoon, in a single play session. No, no, no. What you have to think of with anal and working your way up is taking weeks or months and having a lot of orgasms. This is always my prescription. Have a lot of orgasms with anal engaged with your butt in play without your butt being penetrated or being railed. You know, you work your way up from some rimming and touching, maybe some vibrators or dildos or vibrating dildos laid across your butthole while having orgasms, while you do the other stuff that works for you. And not just with your partner, especially if you're the kind of giving person who really gets off on pleasing your partner. If your partner's there while you're doing this kind of work your way up experiment play, you may, through no fault of your partners, put pressure on yourself to get that dick in there. You may want to get that dick in there so badly for them that you can't relax and enjoy or really even experience the sensations that you're attempting to provide for yourself and the associations you're attempting to create between those sensations, anal engagement, and your orgasm. So do it alone. Do it on your own and work your way up from those toys laid across to a toy that goes in you but doesn't go in and out of you. So not that strap-on dildo necessarily, but a small vibrating butt plug, no wider than your ex-boyfriend's dick. And then get 10 toys that range in size from your ex-boyfriend's dick or a little smaller to your boyfriend's dick. And it's all about learning to relax. And it's all about conditioning yourself to anticipate not pain or discomfort when you're going to do butt stuff, but pleasure. And you condition yourself to expect that pleasure by having a lot of pleasurable experiences, which it sounds like for right now, for you, would mean having anal sex, anal play without having anal penetration or having a little anal penetration without having your ass railed. Do that. Work your way up over six months. Not six hours, not six fucking minutes. The times I've heard from people who say, oh, we took your advice and we used lots of lube and we, you know, we rimmed and we fingered and then it really hurt. And I've had 
extended conversations with people who tell me they took all my advice. And then when I drill down, it turns out they did all of that in 45 minutes. And it's still, well, yeah, of course it's going to still hurt if you rush it. If you enjoyed it, sound like you did. If you really liked it, sounds like you did. And you want to work your way back up to it, take your time and center your pleasure. This is about your butthole, not his dick. One day it'll be about his dick too, but it won't ever be about his dick only. And you should break it to him that anal penetration for you a couple of minutes. So if he wants to have anal to completion, if he wants to blow a load in your butt, then that's going to have to come at the end of a long buildup. He's going to have to be near or at his point of orgasmic inevitability before he sticks his dick in you when you're ready for that beer can dick to be stuck into you, which I would put roughly, if you actually take my advice, sometime around July. Before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of comments about last week's show posted at savage.love. Says thingamajig. Dan says, if the self-care impaired guy and his wife open up their marriage, the self-care impaired guy will head straight back to the gym and start taking better care of himself. Maybe, or maybe he won't, and he'll just resent his wife for having more success at the open relationship than he does. Some people, Dan, really do see less pressure to spend time and energy on personal grooming as one of the benefits of marriage. Huh. Seems to me, if someone feels that way, marriage means less time and energy spent on personal grooming. That's something someone needs to add to the long list of things people already believe they need to disclose before marriage. You know, like being poly, being kinky, wanting kids, not wanting kids. Somebody who's about to marry you has a right to know whether you think getting married means no longer having to bathe on the regular. Says Naomi, for the guy with the long planned vasectomy who now feels a little wistful, I'm a 50-year-old woman and have two grown kids. I had a hysterectomy for medical reasons a couple of years ago, and I still sometimes have this realization that I can't get pregnant anymore and feel wistful. I'm pretty sure some wistfulness is normal. Completely agree, Naomi. Thank you for that wonderful comment. And finally, says Mudflap, those two callers trying to communicate with people they're not supposed to contact through the show, both were out of line. But something about the mail caller bugged me more. Maybe because he felt the need to share about the information he gleaned from the shared Netflix account. Good on him for cutting himself off from that kind of stalkery access to his ex. But man, if I had an ex call and announce that they've been monitoring me like that, it would make my skin crawl. Agreed. Also seems to me, if you go no contact with your ex, and this wasn't a no contact order issued by a judge, if you go no contact with your ex, it's kind of on you to log off your ex's Netflix account. And I got to say, as stalkery behaviors go, finding out your ex is binging Bridgerton or finding out that your ex found out that you've been binging Bridgerton because you haven't logged off your ex's Netflix account yet is pretty small beans. That said, I should have come down harder on that caller, on both of those callers, for reaching out to their exes via my show. To those exes, I want to apologize for the unpleasant surprise. All right, for more listener comments and more of my responses, check out Struggle Session, a weekly bonus column for Magnum Subs. goes up every Thursday at savage.love. And now, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. This is a response to the caller in 896 with the faulty bullshit detector. 
I would really like to suggest that she seriously consider taking some sort of class on critical thinking and science in general. Uh, I would suggest even an online course or, or local community college, whatever she has available, because this is very helpful throughout life, not just with face-to-face -face bullshit, but also things you see on the internet, scams, con artists, uh, the news in general, politics, all of that. If you just learn these tools, which can be learned and acquired, you'll be able to smell bullshit a mile away, and I hope she does that. Everybody should. They should have these classes in middle school and high school mandatory. Hi, Dan. I'm a family physician calling about the woman on episode 896 with prediabetes. Your relationship advice is fine, but your medical advice is misinformed. Prediabetes does not cause people to bonk from sugar highs or sugar lows. It does not require strict abstinence from sugars and carbohydrates, and a bit of cookie dough, even a fistful, won't cause people to crash with prediabetes. Medications can help protect against long-term problems, and they do not need to be taken for a lifetime. Her crashes are more likely from a combination of stress, poor sleep, and exhaustion. She could also have a different undiagnosed medical condition. To test the hypothesis, she could test her blood sugars with a simple finger prick and an inexpensive home glucometer when she is crashing. She should return to her primary care provider for more information and additional evaluation have a consult with a nutritionist to learn that it's okay to eat some carbs in moderation. Hi, Dan. I am an autistic sex therapist calling about your call from uh, last episode about the man who has an autistic partner and is feeling hurt by the partners that he's bringing back and not being included. If you want to communicate this with your partner, my suggestion would be to use this format. I'm feeling X about Y and I need Z. It's very clear it's not blaming them for anything. So it looks something like, my feelings get really hurt when I'm witnessing you having connections with people where I'm not included. And I, I really need a solution that involves me not being privy to or surrounded by your sexual escapades in which I'm not included. So you're taking responsibility for your feelings, not blaming it on them, and just being really clear with your needs because your autistic partner may not understand that this is hurting you or why. So you sharing like, I am feeling this thing and this is why, and I could use your help in this way is a very clear and succinct way of taking ownership for your feelings and sharing what you need. And we're going to leave it there. There are three ways to get us your questions and your comments for future shows. You can record a question or comment at savage.bub slash askdan, or you can make a voice memo on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love, or you can call our landline and leave us a message at 206-302-2064. We had so many great submissions for Hump this year. We are going to have two Hump film festivals this year one in the spring one in the fall two completely brand new programs two full nights of amazing inventive creative porn and erotica hump 2024 volume one premieres in seattle on february 8th before touring over the world and then we will have another big premiere for hump 2024 volume two in the fall go to humpfilmfest.com right now to learn about both lineups. We have images and synopses for all the films that we will be showing this year. Volume 1, Volume 2 at HumpFilmFest.com right now where you can also order tickets to a live screening when Hump comes to a theater near you. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And I'm still on the bad place at Fake Dan Savage. 
follow Two Dykes and a Mike on Instagram and threads at Two Dykes and a Mike. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Artunian and me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading. Happy New Fear is anal intercourse's kryptonite.